As Brian said, I'm Matt Pardee, one of the pastors here. And what a great time of the year. We love this season of the year. We really do hope you uh, jump in. We need your help. Uh, we need community. For all of you that are new, we really do want to get to know you and get you knit into this awesome community. So uh, please be signing up for that stuff. And this time of the year, we often do this anchor teaching of why we are called H2O. We love to do this every year. It's always wonderful to come back to this passage in John chapter 4. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We have some brand new Bibles out there for you. So if you want to grab a Bible, if you kind of like that feel of holding the Word in your hand and looking at the pages, be free to grab one of those and turn to John chapter 4. But if not, they'll be coming up on the screen so you can follow along in that way or on our app. So we are excited to be diving into this passage where Jesus refers to himself as the living water. That's why we're called H2O. Uh, I know that there's been people around for years and they kind of forget like, why are we called H2O? And we're coming up on our 20th year of that new name. We used to be called University Christian Church, but early on in, uh, in 2001, uh, we changed the name to H2O after this passage. And we really believe this passage just says so much about our walk with God. It says so much about how we're building the culture of this church. And we really hope that you uh, dive into this and uh, learn so much from it. So here's the big idea that we want to take away from today. We love to throw this out because we know that many people go on their way Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and like, what was that teaching about? And how did that even impact my life? But here's the big idea that we want you to take away. It's so good for you to kind of hear that at the beginning of the message. And it's this, Jesus knows our past and still wants a relationship with us. We believe that all through the scriptures, God is telling his people I want a relationship with you. Even though you've broken this relationship, you've walked away from me, you've turned to your selfish ways, God is a relational God. And he came to this earth in the form of Jesus to build this relationship with us. Maybe that's something you've heard a thousand times before and so good to be reminded. Are you walking in a deep relationship with God? Because that's your purpose on this earth. Maybe it's something you've never heard before and you feel like God's a million miles away. You don't feel that intimacy with God. It's so important to read these kind of passages to know he wants an intimate relationship with you. So let's dive right into the scripture. And uh, John chapter four, we're only gonna go through about half of the chapter for sake of time, but we wanna get right in here and break this into some parts to pull out some applicable things for our lives. So here we go in John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So let's pause right there. Jesus is gaining traction in his ministry. His cousin John is baptizing people, and John is telling people about Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's starting to gain these disciples, and he's getting ready to go from Judea um, up into Galilee, but there's this area in between those two called Samaria that he's getting ready to travel through. Jesus is gaining these disciples, he's been doing miracles, and the crowds are starting to gather, but he was often moving around quickly with his disciples because he knew what was happening at the end of his life and why he came, which was to die. 
And so often he was eluding the people, the Pharisees, the Romans, and the people that were trying to bring his life to an end. So he was often moving. Now he says this interesting thing. Now he had to go through Samaria. That's an interesting phrase. And what does that mean? Well, does that mean that there was only one way to go from Judea north to Galilee? That's not actually what it was saying. There was a way to go around the Mediterranean. I'll show you a map here later on, not right now, or to go across the Jordan and go. So it wasn't like that was the only way to go north in the destination that they were trying to reach. What did that mean? Did it mean like, no, I just have to go through there for, for some just you know, a personal reason, like the Samaritan cinnamon rolls are so good. We just, we just have to go there. It's just this amazing experience. No, that wasn't it either. There was nothing like that going on. Jesus was on a divine appointment to meet the Samaritan woman. Jesus was on a divine appointment, and that's our first point. Jesus had a divine appointment and is intentional in all he does. Jesus had a plan. Jesus knew why he was going there. His ministry was going to start with an outcast woman. And this outcast woman, let me just tell you the end of the story right now, this outcast woman represents us. That's why we love this passage of Scripture. Jesus is going to go beyond what's the normal to build a relationship with this woman and bring her this good news, even though she was very not deserving of it. He knew exactly why he was going there. He was going to have this amazing interaction with her. He's going to say some really important things to her, and it is going to change her life dramatically, and then she's going to start affecting other people in a short amount of time. And it's a beautiful picture of what God is inviting every one of us into. We don't deserve this relationship with him, but he wants to have this relationship with us. And when we have this encounter with Jesus, it's going to change things. It's going to change things for every one of us. And this is his purpose. This is his intentionality. And it's a really beautiful thing. Let's move on to verse 5. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had Uh, given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. A little bit of background here. The Jewish people and the Samaritan people were at odds with each other. They detested one another. There was all kinds of like cultural things and racial things and economic things and religious things that made these two people not get along. There was a hatred and a detest so that the fact that Jesus was even traveling in Samaria was really controversial. Most of the time, these Jewish people would go off to, the Samaria, uh, to, the, to Samaria. They would avoid it. They would go through the Mediterranean or they would go across the Jordan River to avoid this place. So here we're going to take a peek at this map. And this is very similar to a map that we saw last week. Uh, You can see Jerusalem down here in the south by the Dead Sea. 
and the Jewish people were down here. It says that Jesus was down in Judea and he was going north up to Galilee. They hated these people so much, even though it was a direct northern journey, they would go by boat to the Mediterranean off to the west, or you can see a little dotted line. I don't know how well you can see that, but they would cross over the Jordan and then cross over again just to avoid these people that they detested. Imagine that. Maybe doubling the time in your journey just because you hated these people so much. They detested them, and everything about them was just this, this thing that they didn't want to be a part of. And not only does Jesus say, we're going to go through here. We have to go through here because I have this divine appointment. But he sits at the well, and he knows that this woman is coming, and he's talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a woman, which was not permitted by the Jewish people. And we're going to find out about this lady's personal life that she was a sinner, and it wasn't somebody that they expected Jesus to interact with. So here's our second point. Jesus overcomes social norms and stereotypes to start a loving relationship. Jesus overcomes all these things that we might feel toward other people, these things that might make us feel uncomfortable or that we might detest or things that we've had conflict with people, or we have these stereotypes, or we have this anger, or we have these hidden bitternesses toward the people in our lives, and we let that become a wedge in our relationship. And Jesus is showing us He wants to overcome all those things. He's giving this value to every person. Every human person has value in Jesus' Mind. And I know that when we think about diving into these relationships in this way, you know, we can have all kinds of excuses of why we don't want to love somebody else, why we don't want to interact with somebody else, or we don't want to get into the messiness of their lives, and it can make us separated from people. And we do this, we, we go across these bridges because Jesus modeled this so well. Again, we're represented by this Samaritan woman and Jesus loves her. He's interacting with her. And she even says like, why are you even talking to me right now? It's hard to break through the barriers to get into the messiness of life, to get into the messiness of people's personal lives. But we do it because we're compelled by God and we do it because he cares for us. And it's an overflow of our hearts. I remember when I was a young dad thinking about the physical messiness of people's lives. Uh, when we in, 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 uh, adopted my youngest, uh, my first son, he was three years old when we adopted him. I'm a brand new dad. I know nothing about this. Little side note, I've got a little bit of OCD in my life, so I really didn't like being that dirty or like getting my hands dirty. Well, one morning I wake up and my brand new son, he's three years old, he's still in diapers. He's had a diaper explosion in the middle of the night, okay? And it's really messy. It's terrible. It's like my worst nightmare. I walk in there and it's like, man, I need a toxic, you know, uh, a, a, a suit here to go into this room because it was just everywhere. It was a disaster. And in my selfishness, I actually thought to myself, I could go back to bed and maybe my loving wife, Mary Lynn, will just take care of this. Isn't that a terrible thought? You know, she's like, oh, she's a new mom. Maybe she's going to enjoy this, you know? But no, I was like, no, I just got to go in. I got to face my fears. I got to dive into this mess and deal with this. 
and he was, it was just really bad. I'm not going to go into all the detail, but literally about all I could touch was the top of his head to guide him to the bathroom to help this little guy. It was one of my worst nightmares, but I did it because, of course, we love our kids. We do things sacrificially for our kids, even though it's messy. That physical example of getting into someone's life that's messy because we love them is the spiritual message of this passage, one of the spiritual messages. Jesus dives into our messy life. We're the Samaritan woman. We're the little kid that's just a mess and needs to be cleaned up. And Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He wants to give us something that we don't have. And we're going to see how this plays out as we continue on in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would, given, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's not quite understanding this. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? This woman is hearing a spiritual message from Jesus. We see here that he says, I want to give you a living water as a spiritual analogy. And that's where we get our name, H2O, Jesus referring to himself as this living water. But does she get it? Does she understand? No. She's only thinking in physical terms. And she said, how are you going to give me a drink when you don't even have a jar? You don't even have a vessel. Who are you? Who comes to a well in the middle of the hot day with no vessel to draw anything from? She has some significant questions, some important questions about this Jewish person that's asking her for something. She doesn't understand. Oftentimes, we don't understand. And that's the third point. When our eyes are only on earthly things, God wants us to see heavenly things. I want you to just ponder that in your heart right now as you just reflect back on this weekend and this past week and all the physical demands and all the things that are happening in our earthly realm, how much are we thinking about spiritual things? We hope and pray that we are Christians that are living with our spiritual eyes open and everything that's going on in our family and relationships and our job and our money and our, our cravings and our interests and our insecurities and everything going on, we would look to God with a spiritual lens. But oftentimes we don't. We're only just focused in on the world and these earthly things, and these physical things. And we're just consumed about getting our to-do lists done and taking care of our physical needs. And we can often live our lives completely separated from God. And we don't see it. And we don't get it. And we're no different from her. Jesus says, I want to give you something amazing. This living, spiritual water. And she says, you don't have a jar. You have nothing to offer me. Who are you and why are you talking to me? I am not comfortable with this conversation. Jesus in love continues on in verse 13. Jesus answered, continuing on with the analogy, 
everyone who drinks this water that you're drawing will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty anymore and have to keep coming here to draw from this well. Still doesn't understand. It makes sense. He's sharing some pretty amazing words here of like, I want to give you something that will give you eternal life. Yeah, you're here because of this physical thirst, but what about your most important hunger and thirst, your spirituality, your soul? I want to give you something that actually saves you from your sins and gives you eternal life. And she said, boy, that'd be great because I hate walking up and down here every day carrying these heavy jars. The fourth point is this. Jesus is the living water and gives eternal life. Here at H2O, we just say this over and over again, and we pray that every ear hears it. The most important thing about you is your relationship with God. The most important decision you're ever going to make in life, not who you marry or what school you go to or what job or what house you buy, the most important decision is Jesus your Savior. What Jesus did on the cross to die for the sins of mankind, have you received that living water personally? Have you drank that in and he has now cleared you of your sins? I can't make that decision for you. Our staff can't make that decision for you. Your parents, your friends, your family can't make that decision for you. You have to receive this living water yourself for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is telling her and he's telling us today, I have something to give you that will give you eternal life. Do you want it? And it's up to every one of us to receive it. That's the beauty of the gospel a free gift. He didn't ask this woman to clean up her life first, go do these 10 things first and come back to me and then earn what I want to give to you. He says, no, I have it for you right now. Don't go clean yourself up. I just want to give you something and I want you to believe me. We hope and pray that that's every person's decision here. If that's something that you're not sure about, we love having those conversations. We would love for you to pull a staff person aside and say, I'm not sure if I have a relationship with Jesus that's going to give me eternal life. Would you help me walk through the scriptures with that? Let's go move on to this next part. And this is a really amazing part. Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. Now, there's a longer passage here that I really encourage you to go read. And she says back to him, I'm not married right now. But Jesus only asked this question because he wanted to dig in to the most personal part of her life, just like he wants to dig into the most personal, sensitive part of our lives. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says to her, I know you've been married five times and the guy that you're living with right now is not your husband. And I'm sure she was just like stopped in her tracks. A miracle's happening here. A supernatural thing. 
She was kind of maybe blowing him off before. She was talking about earthly things when he's talking about spiritual things. And then all of a sudden, he like reads her mail. He like really calls her out. Hey, why don't you go get your husband? It's like, wow, now we're getting real personal. Now we see in the scriptures why when all the other women at this time would come to the well in community in the morning, in the cool of the day, and they would get their water and go back together for their families. This woman is here at noon in the heat of the sun all alone. Why? Because she has an immoral personal life and she's an outcast to this town. And Jesus says, I know why you're here at noon. I know what you've done. I know that you go to men and you go to these unhealthy things to satisfy that thirst inside of you, but I still want you. And that's our fifth point. Jesus knows your past and he still wants you. No matter what you've done, no matter the selfish decisions, no matter what wrongs have happened in your life. Maybe there's something in your life right now that no one else in this world knows about you from your childhood or from your teen years or maybe as you were an adult and these things that you've done, these decisions that you've made in secret, you think, gosh, I'm terrified to know if anybody else knows this very embarrassing thing about my life. And these difficult things that were going on in her life, these shameful things, Jesus says, I know what you've done, but I still want you. Man, wouldn't that be nice to hear that from God personally? For every one of you. For you to go to God and say, man, here's the things I'm really ashamed about. And to offer that to him in honest confession and for him to look you in the eye spiritually and say, I know, I still want you. I still want to do something special in your life. You know, to be known and to be accepted like that is, is so amazing. And sometimes we get these little glimpses of that on earth, you know. When, in 1999, when I was married, um, all in this one year, when I, when I asked Mary Lynn to date me, we had known each other for five years. And the cool thing about that is that we had worked together and we were in these you know, scenarios together in small groups and working together. And the cool thing was that we had heard each other's story and testimony, even the difficult things of our lives, just by doing ministry together. So she really knew about everything about me. Now, just in this one year, and I know this is kind of strange, but I asked her to date me, and we dated, and then we broke up, and then we got back together again, and then we got engaged, and we got married all in 1999. Yes, strange. It was a very eventful year. And then we had our wedding and reception. We said we partied like it was 1999, so that was kind of cool. It was 1999. How in the world could you have that kind of dating, breakup, dating, engagement, and marriage in one year? Because we completely knew each other for five years. And for her to hear my story and my selfish decisions and my past relationships and the alcohol and the drugs and the bad decisions and all the shameful things that I'd, I'd you know, we'd be tempted to hide from other people, 
so that when the very day I said, do you want to date me? She's like, I kind of know the mess that you are, you know. She knew what she was getting into. And for us to even through dating and engagement and just share more confessions about our lives and for that person to say, I do. I know what you've done and I still want to marry you because I believe that God's doing something new in your life. I'm so thankful for that. No secrets. No secrets is a very freeing thing. Much more important than Mary Lynn and I, that's the relationship that God wants with you. No secrets. He knows it all. He's waiting for you to come and acknowledge what he already knows so that he can shower you with grace and love and forgiveness. John 5.24 says it so clearly. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and catch this, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. God did not send Jesus to judge you. God sent Jesus to save you, to redeem you of your sins. So we can run to the cross. We can run to Jesus in confession and say, yeah, you see it all, but you still accept me. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. The Samaritan woman didn't have to go change her life and then have a relationship with Jesus. You're not going to be able to change on your own anyway. You ask Jesus into your life, and then he begins to change you. And here's the really cool thing at the end of this, this thing that we talk about at H2O a lot is high invitation and high challenge. What do we mean by that? It's something by Michael Breen that we talk about, and it's kind of a culture that we, we build here from this passage because Jesus says, I'm going to save you and I welcome you, but you are going to change. You're not going to live that old life because if you really believe in Jesus, you're going to want to change. <clears throat> So the high invitation is this. Whoever believes in him can be saved. The invitation is great. It's for every single person. I don't care what you've done. You have an invitation to the banquet feast in heaven with Jesus. However, if you accept that invitation, know what you're getting into, he's going to challenge you. He's going to have a high challenge for you because he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to be honest with me. I want you to start changing. I want you to walk in the Spirit and live with me. And this woman is so moved by this intimacy and this interaction, she goes back to her town and she says, you all have to go meet the Messiah that told me everything I've ever done. And they start to believe. And in the first day, with no theological training, no cleaning up, no Bible to work with, Nobody giving her any evangelism training. She starts bringing scores of people to Jesus that believe. And that's what we want for every one of us. That's why we're called H2O. You can come no matter what you've done, but he's calling us to a mission together. Let's answer that call together. Let's be a part of changing this world through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray for that.